From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining. It's a show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Have you ever been in a situation where you cooked a little bit more than you needed? Maybe the kids were supposed to come over for dinner, but canceled. Or not everyone who RSVP'd for your dinner party showed up. Did you know that there are places you can take that uneaten food to help some hungry citizens? The Society of St. Andrew is one of those places, and we'll talk with the program coordinator, Andy Lemon, today, along with talking about the dish Deborah brought in today. So you can join our conversation with a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show food at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter with from Cooking with Honey and Friends. So have you ever been in a situation where you cooked a little bit more than you need? Maybe the kids were supposed to come over for dinner, but canceled. Or not everyone who RSVP'd for your dinner party showed up. But there are places you can take uneaten food to help out some hungry citizens. The Society of St. Andrew is one of those places. And today we're going to talk with the program coordinator and Andy Lemon. Also, we'll talk about the dish that Deborah brought in today. Join our conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's one 7464 or you can email the show food at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Deborah. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning, Kevin. I am doing absolutely fantastic. I'm really still laughing from Friday night. I went to a dinner theater event in Terry, Mississippi, called the Cupcake Wars. And I laughed from the time the curtain opened to the time the curtain closed. It was just absolutely wonderful. The food was great. The hospitality was really wonderful. So I want to say thank you to everybody that invited me to that event. I had a blast. Yeah, those are a lot of fun. I think uh, that's uh, one of kind of an old tradition, the dinner theater, uh, that, uh, you know, like you say, you get a good meal and then uh, enjoy a nice uh, production, in your case, a comedy. So that's always a lot of fun. Um, so we, uh, you, uh, you brought in a casserole this morning and I was thinking as I, as I was eating it to me, one of the fun things about a casserole is each bite, you might uncover uh, one of the ingredients that you didn't get in the first bite. So it was, you know, uh, we'll talk about it in a minute, but there, you know, there's some corn in there. And then as I got in, I was like, Oh, look, there's some uh, black eyed peas in there as well. So very tasty, a little spicy, but that's okay. And it was just, uh, on the uh, level of, of, uh, a little kick, but not too much. <laughs> Uh, so tell us uh, what what you brought in. Well, I was having a pinky in the brain moment, Kevin. <laughs> what are we going to do today? The same thing we do every day, take over the kitchen, right? So um, basically, Kevin, I wanted to create something that was quick and easy and really flavorful and a lot of fun. And the base of this dish is rice. And it's, uh, you know, just cooking the rice to the point that it's nice and fluffy, draining it, making sure that the, you know, that you sift it just a tiny bit so that the rice won't stick together. Put a little bit of salt on it and just a drizzle of olive oil, set it to the side. And then I added in uh, cooked and drained black eyed peas. The same thing with my corn. I seared it a little bit, drained all the oil off. We added in a freshly sliced tomato, tiny little bites, green onions, 
a few other yummy little treats in here, put it in my casserole dish, covered it with uh, some really wonderful uh, mild cheddar cheese, some fresh Parmesan, popped it in the oven for a few minutes, and then fi- finished it under the broiler. And it really does, it's reminiscent of, you know, uh, something that's very southwestern and taste, and it's really a lot of fun, and it would be perfect with a nice piece of bro- brioche bread or, you know, not nice pick piece of bread. And uh, so I was really pleased with this today. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I, I've mentioned this frequently, but again, to me, the the color, uh, when you can get a nice colorful dish, it really does add to the whole uh, experience of eating. And again, something we've talked about frequently, but, you know, you eat with your taste, obviously, uh, but also the s- smell and sight are important parts of a dish. And again, you know, you brought that in this morning and it was covered up in foil and, and just when took the Ta-da! foil off. Just that delicious smell and then just the bright colors. I love green onions, not only for their taste, but their appearance. And then uh, with the, the corn and the and the tomato in there, uh, it was just really exciting. And, you know, again, that's kind of the fun of, of a casserole dish is it's a, it's a new flavor experience every bite. So Speaking of exciting, Kevin, when I came around the corner, because you posted it on Facebook and I saw this cake, I got really excited. So there's this wonderful, very moist chocolate cake. Uh, with cherries and a cherry icing on top, and the icing is divine. I just want to go lick all the icing <laughs> off the top of the cake. So I really appreciate my Monday morning man for bringing me an extra treat today. Well, thank you. I saw that uh, on on the internet. I think it was on someone's uh, Facebook feed, and um, it looked interesting. It, it was very simple to make. It only had five ingredients, um, and it had a secret ingredient, which I changed. It was supposed to have cherry Dr. Pepper, uh, but anyone who knows me knows that I'm a Coke man through and through. So <laughs> I was, as I was funny, as I was reading through the recipe, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to try a, a cherry Coke. And at the bottom it said, you can substitute cherry Coke if you'd like to. So I was glad about that. One thing, though, I'll say is that, uh, and I should have thought more about this, but the, the recipe didn't say anything about letting the cake cool. And when I first started to ice it, it was still too warm and the icing started to kind of dissipate a little bit. So I, I kind of panicked for a minute and then I thought, well, no, that's all right. Just hang on. And then waited another probably 15, 20 minutes. The cake had cooled down and was able to ice it there. So, um, so actually, Kevin, for me, it's really not a bad thing to do a warm coat of icing because what happens is, is that wonderful gooey icing will actually absorb into the layer of cake. And then you can let the cake cool and do a crumb coat and then finish it with your, you know, your icing. So I don't I don't have a problem with a warm coat of uh, yummy icing on top of a cake. So, yeah. But, so and the other interesting and uh, fun thing about this recipe is you buy a box of cake mix, but then you don't buy any of the other ingredients. All the cake was was the cake mix and some cherry Coke. And again, it's very easy. So you did that. And then I put some diced up some cherries in there. And then for the icing, it's butter and uh, confectioner sugar and a little bit of cherry juice. Um, and I'll say again, I've learned uh, that when you're dealing with butter, uh, I bought the butter at the grocery store and actually left the amount that I needed for the recipe out on the counter for, I would guess, two hours close to that. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't melted, but it was soft. And I think that that helped uh, when you started to cream the butter in the mixer. It was uh, easy going, And then um, uh, added the cherry juice. I used a little more cherry juice, I think, than it called for because I, it was a little... It was still a little stiff, but um, it turned out really well. I, I, I The you know, cake was absolutely – this cake – I'm going to get a second piece because I've already finished <laughs> my first piece. But this cake is absolutely fantastic. And, you you know, for me, you don't ever want to melt your butter when you're doing ice. And you do want that room temperature, very soft icing so that you can get a nice fluffiness in your in – your, uh, 
uh, cake ice and when you add the confection sugar with the butter. So you did uh, absolutely. I'm so proud of you. Well, thank you. Not only are you cute and adorable, but you're baking me cake. <laughs> well, thank you. And again, though, to me, that's an easy, you know, like a buttercream icing. That's a very simple recipe to do. And you could, I was thinking if you wanted to, possibly you could put maybe some orange juice in there, make an orange icing. You could put lemon. Uh, so it's a great basic uh, thing that you can build off of. And again, it was very easy to do. But I will say, if you need room temperature butter, put it out for longer than you think. Because a lot of times I think, oh, okay, and you, you kind of remove it from the refrigerator and try to use it 10 or 15 minutes later. And it's just... It, it's too stiff. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. It's, it's hard to work with. So uh, we have an early caller on the line. So why don't we welcome our friend Kathleen from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Hey, Kathleen. Good morning. I don't have a problem with hot icing on my cake either. <laughs> I love it. Listen, I got called now. My friend Melissa told me I didn't give you a good breakfast recipe. She said, what about your Italian recipe? I said, well, I didn't think about it. So I'm making amends today. This is one of the best. You can use omelet or scrambled eggs, and you can do it in bulk. So if you have, like, a buffet or something, you use eggs, you saute in one pan, lightly the onions, some sliced zucchini, a little celery, and uh, if you want fresh parsley or if you want to do a frank, we can chop up some kale real fine. (laughs) (laughs) And then you put the uh, eggs in, and you kind of use... um, a mozzarella, provolone, but you can use Swiss cheese. It's not that crucial. You saute, you saute Italian sausage in another pan. You take it out of the grease and layer it in on top, so it kind of sits there on top. So I use an uh, omelet pan, so it's good, but you can scramble it. It's not changing the taste in any way, just the presentation. And as you serve, you can use marinara sauce, a mm. little spoonful on top. Now, that's where your ice cube trays come in handy. You can melt one or two ice cubes, put the marinara sauce on top. It looks fancy schmancy, and you got a way to use zucchini. So I made up. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Next time, I'll think and make sure I have my best breakfast recipe or the best thing you need. But you know how I am about cooking in bulk. Even if you buy yourself, when things are in season, buy it. Cook it, prepare it, freeze it, uh, dry, uh, dehydrate it, and you get it cheaper in season, and you'll have it all year. It did vary for what's available, but I do believe that's a good topic for people, especially in the bountiful season we get this summer. Absolutely, Kathleen. Thank you so much for your call this morning. But, Kevin, she's right, you know, and it, and it used to be, you know, that it was quite popular that, you know, people would can things, you know, in one season and preserve them for the other. And a lot of times in our busy lives, of course, you know, as, you know, women especially that would normally take on that role, you know, have taken on so many other professional roles, and we're very proud of that. But in your spare time, if you just take a few minutes and if you bought some extra food, 
like Kathleen was saying, you know, just to uh, be able to store it so that you can buy it in season, store it so you can have it when you want it. And it's always good if you have the space to buy a freezer. They come in really, you know, really large freezers, you know, if, just in case you need to bury a body or something. <laughs> or you can get, you know, a really small <laughs> freezer. And, uh, you know, just keep you some extra goods around. <laughs> I will say, though, she, she kind of dissed zucchini there. Uh, she said something about it. And you can finally find a way to use zucchini. It's like, I mean, hey. I love zucchini, I know, though, I Kevin. You know, say. you can fry it. You can bake it. You can saute it. And it's really yummy. You know, it's adding the season in. And the other thing that a lot of people sometimes kind of snooze at is eggplant. And, you know, and and it's really just such a wonderful, delightful bite. So I say buy that stuff, you know, uh, pre-prepared. And like Kathleen said, you know, store it up. And if you even want to pickle that stuff, you can. All right. Uh, we need to take a break. After the break, we'll invite our guest in. We're going to be talking with Andy Lemon, who is the program coordinator for the Society of St. Andrew. He'll tell us about the continuing work that they're doing to end hunger in Mississippi. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. More after the break. Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. We actually have two guests with us in studio. Uh, we're going to be using this hour with the program coordinator for the Society of St. Andrew, Andy Lemon. And Andy, why don't you uh, introduce your guest to us? Oh, I'd be glad to. Um, so with me is Ann uh, Radke. She is the program coordinator in the Indiana regional office that just opened up this year. Uh, so she is kind of tagging along today. We're going through the routine to show her how we do things down here in Mississippi. Okay. <clears throat> if you would, uh, tell us a little about um, the Society of St. Andrew and its mission. So the Society of St. Andrew started out 40 years ago uh, with a simple goal of feeding people's hungers, whether they were spiritual or physical, and, and it's evolved to be very focused uh, in ending hunger, uh, preventing food waste specifically and doing that um, while ending hunger. Uh, just in the Mississippi office, we've given away 5 million pounds of food since wow. March of 2016. Okay. And uh, nationally, we give away upwards of 25 million pounds um, through our partnerships and our seven other state offices. Um, and let me throw this out to both you and to Ann, but if you would... Tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you got involved with the society, and, and why you think it's important work. So I originally uh, don't have any nonprofit experience, no ag experience, no hunger experience. I uh, just saw it, and I was in a phase where I really wanted to get involved and spend 40 hours a week minimum uh, giving back and really trying to help build up Mississippi. Um, and the job opened up, and, and I kind of just jumped on it immediately, and looks like they thought it was a good fit, too. Well, let me say this, uh, Kevin, because uh, I met uh, Andy probably a little bit more than about a year ago now. And the thing that I do know about him is he's very driven, he's very passionate, and he loves people. So that it makes it a perfect combination for what you're doing, Andy, and to be able to see you out there working just as hard as the other volunteers or even harder to make sure that everybody is on task. And it's like, and it's a gift of love to uh, the entire community. It's just incredible. So I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Anna, tell us about your background and your involvement with the society. Uh, well, I've, uh, I've been on board for about three weeks now. Um, my background is in advocacy work, um, working on consumer rights issues, uh, working on um, uh, 
you know, policy issues and so forth of the state in Indiana. Um, and I was on board because I also have a small farm myself. I grow flowers and sell flowers, uh, farmers markets and so forth. And, and the connection between the land and giving back and helping people, um, helping people who are food insecure, uh, is right up. It, it, it's home right at home for me. So, so, um, Andy, I think when people think about hunger, we think maybe of a third world country and, and, you know, rightfully so that we should be trying to help out people across the world with, with hunger needs. But I, I don't think that a lot of people realize maybe the extent of hungry people here in the United States is part of the mission of the society to an awareness campaign as well? Absolutely. So we're we're definitely a grassroots organization. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time lobbying and things like that. Uh, but we realize that in wanting to affect change, to make permanent lasting change, you need to change the community. Um, so we really try to involve all aspects of the community, whether it's the local church, the local community center, the schools, um, other agencies that may not be hunger-related but want to strengthen their communities. Um, so in bringing everybody together, we increase awareness of the need, and, and that's probably the biggest um, misconception that we combat on a daily basis is you don't have to be destitute um, to be struggling with hunger. You know, there's so many people, the working poor, that two people in the household are employed and, and have bills and have vehicles, um, but they're having to cut portions. They're having to ration their food so that they can make ends meet, especially people with children. Um, children are definitely people that get hit the hardest um, when it comes to food insecurity. Um, and and both of you have now mentioned that term. If you would remind us, what exactly is the concept of food insecurity? Uh, it's people who um, who struggle uh, who struggle to get basic nutritional needs. Um, a lot of times working folks, like Andy said, um, people don't necessarily have to be destitute to struggle with getting uh, meals per every day. A lot of times in Mississippi, food insecure means you don't have a secure access to food. So that means both quantity and quality. Um, you know, you have to make decisions. Am I going to pay rent? Am I going to pay my car note? Am I going to pay gas? Oh yeah, do I have money left over for fruits and vegetables? No. Okay, well then we're only going to dry. We're only going to buy dry goods, noodles, pasta, spaghetti. Like that's all we can afford. Um, and then that leads to other debilitating conditions that affect not only our communities and our families, um, but it affects our country as a whole. When you have people that can't go to school and learn because their stomachs are growling. Speaking of going to school and can't learn, I mean, th this is a problem on a lot of college campuses across the nation as well. You know, Andy, when you think about, you have children who parents have worked really hard to help them get into school, to pay tuitions, you know, children are working jobs, and then they come home and they're eating Roman noodles because they don't have access to either the cafeteria has closed too early or they just don't have the funds. So it affects America in so many different ver diverse ways. A lot of times we think of uh, you know, food disparities. We look at the homeless people in our community and we say, oh, I feel so sorry for them. But what I've learned, even in a personal experience, you can be all dressed up, face made, and people pass right by you not realizing that, you know, there's a need there that needs to be met. And I, what I love about the Society of St. Andrews be, is because its original task was to both be spiritual and uh, economically sound for the community. And a lot of times you have to have that spiritual awareness to recognize that people can be well-dressed and still have great needs. And that's the beauty of it is we believe that there's such an abundance of food already um, that it's, it's, it's just kind of a, not even a, a privilege but a right to be able to give this food away, to be able to distribute it um, to so many people in need. 
you just when you see how much food is available, like this morning on the way here, we're coordinating with a farm that has um, enough potatoes to share with the food bank. They have 40,000 pounds of potatoes wow. that they can share with the food bank. Wow. Um, just, you know, sales are a little slower. Things that, you know, aren't necessarily food waste, but it's just there's food available and there's people in need. Let's connect the two. Just common sense. So outside of farms, is it possible for restaurants to get involved in it? Because one of the saddest things for me to see, to be able to personally see, is at the end of the workday, um, you know, you, you're working at a, a situation where there may be a, a buffet, and there's still, you know, two, 300 pounds of food left over that ends up in the trash at the end of the day. How, you know, is it possible for restaurants in the community to get involved as well? It is possible. Um, we do a little bit of that just as it comes available. Like we're not going to turn down food when we know how much food is available and how many people are hungry. You know, one in five people in Mississippi are, are struggling with food. Um, but the Gleaners of Jackson, um, shout out to Miss Nancy and the folks there. Uh, they do a great job in that food recovery and making sure that restaurants, grocers, bakeries, all these places, if it's edible and it's not being used, they're going to make sure and find a home for it. Um, I think when Nancy and I were talking, I think they said they give away to more than 60 recipient agencies across the greater Jackson area. Um, so they're a great source for that type of food. Fantastic. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Today we're visiting with the program coordinator for the Society of St. Andrew, Andy Lemon. Also with us in studio working with the Society in Indiana is Ann Radke. If you'd like uh, to uh, ask a question about the work that the Society does, our phone lines are open. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show. It's food at mpbonline.org. We talked about food insecurity, another term that uh, I think a lot of people hear that uh, we might want to talk about for just a moment is the uh, the idea of a food desert because, uh, Andy, in a rural state like Mississippi, an, another a barrier, I guess, to, to uh, getting food and, and combating hungry can be simply geographical distance. Talk about food deserts. Absolutely. So the concept of a food desert, I mean, it goes back to that access portion of food security. Um, even if there's good food nearby, even if there's a grocery store, if the people can't get to it, um, you take the town of Chula mm-hmm. um, in Holmes County. It, if the people there are employed, if the people have a vehicle, um, if they have enough money to drive back and forth, it, it comes down to time, you know, availability. Are they going to get to the grocery um, when food is good there, when food is available there? Um, you know, they're going to have to have a 30 minute drive sometimes to go to some larger uh, grocers. And that's kind of what you have with a food desert is people are so far removed from good quality and good quantity of food that it becomes a barrier in itself that even if they have, um, you know, the financial resources to buy the food, do they have a vehicle? Can they get there in a timely manner? Does their job prevent them from being there when the stores are open? Um, And it's just being so far spread out. And so just to paint a picture, Kevin, of just how realistic that is. So when I was living in Terry, it would uh, if I left early in the morning and got back in really late at night, there is nowhere to stop to shop for groceries. So I would have to make sure, you know, that I would do super shopping, you know, during the week and you go to, you know, Super Walmart or something and you buy all of this stuff to make sure that you had food because usually about eight o'clock small towns are closed completely down. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, like you said, it isn't the reality is, is that Terry is just right across the street from Jackson, but there's still this opportunity where after a certain hour that there's really nothing available in terms of healthy food. And that's the concept too of the food desert. And you hit it nail on the head there is 
even if you do, you can grocery shop, you have to stockpile. You can't stockpile lettuce. You can't stockpile fresh fruits and vegetables. That's right. Um, you can stockpile dehydrated goods, you know, processed foods. Those will keep for a while shelf stable. Um, but you can't go buy, you know, a bag of apples and have it be good in three weeks. You know, there's, there's a lot that comes into I that. I don't know. These new products are kind of <laughs> interesting. I buy some apples during the holiday. We won't talk about the, the fact that they sat there for almost a month and never changed colors, but we'll talk about that on another show. So, Andy, if you would, to talk about the partnership between the Society and uh, Deborah. I think the partnership there is, uh, and I make it a little cheesy and, and sentimental with it, but I think it's just the true emblem of being a Mississippian. Um, it's somebody that finds out about a cause, um, does a little bit of you know investigating, experiencing, wants to know what it's about, um, and then their heart's won over when they see the need, when they see um, how the organization is addressing it. And, and I don't want to sound overly sentimental, but I think it's a Mississippian thing. When you see somebody in need, you're going to help. We were talking about Mississippi being one of the top two states in the country as far as the percentage of our income that's given to charitable causes and, and the support that we lend. That doesn't count volunteer hours. That doesn't count uh, promotional support. It's just we care. We see a cause and we want to jump in. And I think Deborah saw a cause and she learned about it and it, it touched her heart. And I I don't want to speak for you, but I felt like <laughs> you, you, you couldn't help but get involved. Your passion was invoked. Well, well, first of all, being around you, Andy, is just contagious. You know, I know the audience can't see him, but the whole time he's talking, he's smiling, he's lit up because he's very passionate about what he's doing. So to hear him uh, just share with me and to, for me to be able to see them working so hard and actually be able to go out to events and see what's going on. It uh, just meant a lot to me. So when we decided to do this cookbook, I called Andy and I said, listen, I, how I want to be able to give back to you by giving a portion of ourselves back to you. So every time that this cookbook is purchased, we reserve a, a portion of our income to give back to the Society of St. Andrews so that as we grow, that they can grow as well. And Andy can continue to give the love across the state that he's doing. And, and I guess I, I if you're talking about feeling sentimental. If I had to have a son, I'd like to have one with the kind of heart that Andy has. So this this goes a lot deeper than just the Society of St. Andrews in and of itself. There's a lot of personal value there, a lot of friendship value there. But I want everybody in the state of Mississippi to really get involved in this project because it is a way for you to go back and give uh you know, and still get a gift in return because the Mississippi Delicious uh, Life Cookbook is beautiful. Uh, we released it yesterday, Andy, on Amazon, and I'm really proud of that. So if you're listening and you want to be able to download a Kindle version, uh, you can do an ebook version. You can do that today. So And tell us the exact title so we can search it. It's My Delicious Mississippi Life, and uh, it's definitely delicious. It's got some sweet little stories in there, some cute little uh, quotes from my grandmother, and I hope that everybody will be really proud. But we want you to get involved and help to support because this is Mississippi taking care of Mississippi. We need to take a break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with Andy Lemon, the program coordinator for the Society of St. Andrew. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a question about the work that the Society does, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can also email the show food at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. 
Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today we're visiting with Andy Lemon, who's program coordinator for the Society of St. Andrews, helping to uh, eradicate hunger in Mississippi. And the Society works across the country uh, on hunger issues. And visiting with us is Ann Radke, who works with the Society in Indiana. She's uh, new to the program, so I think kind of shadowing Andy to kind of learn what's going on so that she can replicate the good work that they do uh, in in, in Indiana. Am I correct? Was I get the... Okay. Okay. (laughs) I I couldn't remember if it was Indiana or Illinois. I knew it was one of the I states. So uh, good, good guess on my part. Um, so if uh, you'd like to join the conversation, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We do have a caller on the line. Let's say good morning to Mikey in Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, hey Mikey. Good morning, girl. Good morning, y'all. Um, uh, what a wonderful show. I mean, really. Uh, so I want to know, um, because I'm, I'm a, I like to hold, I'm a hold it book gal you know um not a not an electronic i mean i'm sure that's okay but um when i'm cooking i like to have a book that i can hold now the name of this book again is my delicious mississippi life is that right that's correct okay are we going to be able to find it in print in surrounding states alabama would be mine um uh and can you help me with information on that oh and i'm sorry and go ahead, Mickey. You can say goodbye to us, girl. I was about to tell you, though. Absolutely, we're doing a hard cover of this book. We're going to have our first book signing on June the eighth, right here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Then the following Saturday, it, um, on June the ninth, we'll be at McLean Lodge. So we're going to hit back to back. But uh, we will have all the online information where you can order the hard copy of the book. Uh, if you want a signed copy, you know you have to meet us at one of the book signings. But my prayer is is that this book will not just impact, in, uh, again, Mississippi, but all of our surrounding states. And if we're lucky, Andy, will impact the U.S. because this is a national problem. It's not just a problem here in Mississippi. Food shortages is really it's, it's us needing to take care of who we are at home first. I think it's kind of a biblical quote, love starts at home and then it sp- spreads abroad. And that's what we want this project to do. We want to start at home and then we want to spread this revival of taking care of each other all the way you know, across the U.S. So I'm excited about that. So, um, Andy, let's talk about exactly kind of maybe the nuts and bolts of, of how the society works. Uh, we've kind of hit on it, but if you could remind us again, where do you get the food uh, from? So the majority of the food that we get is sourced from farmers um, and growers and uh, packing warehouses uh, that do a lot of the packaging for the farmers um, to help kind of help them with the distribution, the specialized machinery. Um, when they're going through, when they're picking food out of the fields, they're grading it. Um, you know, we were just gleaning zucchini, and we have somebody this morning gleaning <laughs> zucchini. Um, you think of those perfect, beautiful, just a little bit bigger than a chicken wing zucchinis, um, but you know they can get a good ten inches longer, so they can get pretty big, and they can still be good to eat. Exactly, um, they they are still perfectly great, but they're not that that shelf, that grocery store appearance. Maybe they're curved, maybe they're broken off at the end. Um, but for somebody, for our food pantries especially, um, that don't have a budget for fresh produce and have so many families in need. 
it's 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 gold. I mean, it's it's gold to them. They're they're not worried about the the length of zucchini or if an end is broken. Um, they're like, thank you so much that we have something fresh and green to give our clients. So this is a magic question: Do they have to pay for these products, or are they gifted to them, Andy? Absolutely. Um, so the. One of the most important things that we do is all of the food is given to us for free. Um, so we always make sure that our recipient agencies are giving it away for free as well. Um, we just believe that there's such an abundance that there's no reason to charge for it. The food is donated to our organization. We donate it to the food pantry. Sometimes we donate it locally, like our crop drops we do um, in the city. We just give it out to the community. We want to make sure that there's no cost attached to it. There's just there's so much food available. Um, so do you have uh, like a, a network of trucks that will go to the the people providing the food to pick it up or do they bring it to a central location? How, how does that work? I would love to have a network of trucks. <laughs> that just, you got me excited. Um, we actually have a network. We have a very extensive network. Last year in 2017, we partnered with over 3,000 volunteers in Mississippi alone. Um, these volunteers are willing to drive their trucks, cars. Uh, my favorite was a little Dodge Avenger that had a trunk full of sweet potatoes loaded <laughs> down. Um, she was going to make a difference. You know, no pickup truck was going to stop her. She was going to be out there making a difference. But um, we go to where the food originates, um, and we actually have this. We're trying to, to come up with a very catchy phrase, maybe um, field to family gleaning model. But a lot of the food that we get, say we go gleaning this Saturday morning, um, when we give the food to the agencies and we give the food to the families and the communities, a lot of that food is on the plate of a family in need that night. Um, it, it's it's something different. We don't have warehouses. We don't have a, a middle step. Um, when we get the food, we know it's fresh. We know it has a shelf life. We want to get it to the end user as quickly as possible. Um, so that that's really what we try to emphasize is field to family. It is really a very beautiful thing, Kevin, to see, you know, to to see the kids or adults out in the fields gleaming. And then you see people separating food and it's always presented really well. It's not like it, you know, somebody just took some of that and threw it at you, but it's presented really well. It's done with love and care. And then there are families that can just come and get it. It is just the most beautiful thing to see. So you mentioned the gleaners, and you've used the term gleaning. Tell us what that means. Gleaning. So that is cleaning with a G. Um, <laughs> it's the easiest way. You've got to explain what it is. Um, gleaning is an ancient practice. Uh, it, it went back to um, you know Middle Eastern times and ancient times where the, the growers were felt religiously mandated to leave the edges and corners of their fields unharvested, sort of a, a modern or an ancient welfare, an ancient charity system where they could uh, – provide for those that couldn't provide for themselves out of their abundance. So we still do the same principle now. We have so much cosmetic um, grading and so many regulations about beauty for our food um, that there's so much that's just ruled out because it's not pretty enough. So we go to the field, collect what's left behind after the farmers and the harvesters have come through and picked what they want. Sweet potatoes, for instance, we can follow the trailers and the tractors that the food is just falling off that's not just right cosmetically we're just picking it up as it's fallen on the ground well let me tell you kevin how really brilliant this idea is because one of my favorite stories in the bible is about a gleaner who actually ended up marrying the richest dude in town so for those of you who are looking to be married and want to figure out a great way to get involved you might want to start gleaning because it worked for ruth i'm just saying everybody's talking about where's my boaz here's a great chance to find him right and didn't jesus come out of that family tree too i so. think so you know so we're pretty good there <laughs> All right, and then you mentioned then uh, that the, you provide the food to, to, among other places, to various of um, 
uh, food networks around the around the state. If you would possibly name some of the specific uh, partners that you work with, and if folks are listening in, in different parts of Mississippi and might want to say, "Hey, I'd like to support that that organization," who do you work with in terms of distri- distributing the food? Absolutely. Um, so we work with groups like Edward Street Fellowship Center in Hattiesburg, Brothers Keeper in Poplarville. We work with St. Luke's United Methodist in Tupelo. We work with the Faith Food Pantry in Nettleton, Jerusalem Baptist in Columbus. We work with Community Gagers in Clarksdale. We work with. Um, Heartland Hands in Greenville. We work with uh, groups all over. I mean, if you name a place, we did the math. We looked at our distribution. Uh, We distributed the food to 33 counties in Mississippi last year. Um, We've kind of made it a strategic goal to see if we can hit 41 this year so we can for sure say that we're going to hit at least half of Mississippi. Um, But areas like Jackson, where there's so much infrastructure and there's such a well-established network of partners, you have people like Gateway and StuPod and the Gleaners um, and Salvation Army, they're already working together. So it's very easy to jump into that network. Um, Last year in Hines County alone, 180,000 pounds came from our network um, of food straight into the community. And again, I guess you use your volunteers then not only to pick up the food, but then they then distribute it out to your partners. Absolutely correct. And we do use some of our large partners like the Mississippi Food Network. Um, when we hey, get Maryland. opportunities, <laughs> and Mac and Cass and everybody there, Dr. Beatty, um, they have such a well-established network. They have such a well-established transportation and the communications with all the agencies that they serve. Um, sometimes when we have a truckload of something that has to move quickly. Um, last year, we had a truckload of bananas. I remember that. Got to yeah. be moving quickly. We called it Banana Bonanza. Keep it fun. <laughs> um, but the the Food Network partnered with us to help us distribute them in a timely manner, keep them cold uh, while we were working on distributing to the different agencies. So really, it's it's Mississippi coming together. It's it's working together, that community saying, hey, I've got this and you've got this. Let's work together. And we've got twice as much. I say we should uh, get Andy to run for president. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> so, so back on the supply side, how do you pick the farms? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? Or is it a little bit of both? That's absolutely something that Ann and I are going to be working on. Um, There's not a special technique. Uh, There's not a special method. We do attend growers' conferences. We partner with Alcorn University to stay in the loop when they have conventions. We partner with Mississippi State University's Extension. Um, We find partners. We tell them about our mission. And then sometimes we, um, for example, in Mississippi State University, they say, well, we can't give you our listserv. We can't just give you all this personal information. Um, But I love what you do kind of tell it to me and I'll pass it along to our network. Um, so really those partners that say they want to help, they just jump in and, you know, farming is, is a very relational community. Um, the growers, when they see that they have surplus, they're like, oh, that zucchini is no good. You don't want that. That's too big. And I'm thinking, no, that could feed a whole family. That, that in and of yeah. itself could be yeah. a whole meal. Um, but when they see that we're willing to, to work hard in the fields and we're willing to make a difference, sometimes they'll say, you know, I've got some extra in the cooler. Let me, let me round it out so you have a wow. full load. Wow. Um, our farmers really just want to get involved once they find out they can be. Uh, time for one final break this hour. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. And today we're visiting with the program coordinator for the Society of St. Andrew, Andy Lemon. We'll be back to wrap up the show after this short break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. 
Today we're visiting with Andy Lemon, who is the program coordinator for the Society of St. Andrew. Also in studio with us is Anne Radke, who is working with the Society in Indiana. She is new to the Society of St. Andrew, so uh, Andy is giving her her baptism under fire and <laughs> some of the things that she might be doing uh, to spread the word uh, that the work that the Society does in Indiana as well. So we're glad to have uh, both of you in studio with us this morning. Andy, we are talking a little bit about the supply side before we went to break, and uh, uh, something I was thinking of that Deborah mentioned uh, during the break, and that is... I would imagine for a farmer that excess food, I mean, he they don't just let it sit there. They, it's got to be collected. So in a way, you're kind of helping the farmer out uh, getting rid of that excess food. Absolutely. Um, so we never want to say we're getting rid of food. We're finding a happy home for it. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely the most important. But no, the farmers, they can't just leave this uh, unmarketable food in the field. It's, it's, it's attracting to insects. It's attracting to wildlife. Mm-hmm. That will then make themselves at home in the whole field. So they want to remove that temptation. But um, if it's not cost effective, you know, if it's not marketable, they're pouring money and time into picking it, to harvesting it, to washing it. Um, but there's not any return for them on it. So what we want to do is we want to offset that. We want to do the labor. We we want to do the collecting. We want to bring our own packaging materials. We want to bring our own boxes. We want to bring our own trucks. And uh, we don't want the farmer to have to stay out there. If he's done picking for the day, we want to have staff people out there like myself and our other supervisors so that they can supervise and the farmer can go home and cool off at least for a few minutes. Right. Um, and, and we want to be able to offer as much benefit to everybody involved. Uh, you have these farmers, and we want to make sure that they take advantage of the tax deduction and the beauty of it always being donated at no cost through the entire supply chain um, is that the farmers can get a tax deduction. Um, and when we've sat down and done the numbers with some of our growers, um, it's actually more than their cost. So they're able to to kind of recoup some of that extra time and packaging materials that goes into it um, in that tax deduction. Uh, and we're just trying to spread the word about that when we do that. What I really love, Andy, about this program, it, it really is full circle. Everybody that's involved really receives benefits. It's not just the people that are being fed, but it's the volunteers, it's the farmers, and, and again, it's the whole organization as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, so when you find something that works that well, you just really want to jump in and get involved. Uh, so tell us about Harvest of Hope. Harvest of Hope. I'm excited about that. We actually are having two trips this year, uh, one in June. Uh, they're going to host us in a camp in Foxworth, Mississippi, just outside of Columbia. Um, and then we're having another with Seashore United Methodist Assembly in Biloxi in July. Um, you can find Harvest of Hope online. We want to do more than just the gleaning. We want to do more than just the food distribution. We want to help uh, educate people about food insecurity, about food access, about the overabundance, um, about food waste, all the things that go into it, uh, because we don't just want to rescue food that's available. We do want to change the world. We do want to change the people that are a part of what we do. Um, and also, you know, we talked about d- d- distributing the food, and the, you mentioned a number of the partners that you have across Mississippi, reaching now almost half of the counties in the state. Uh, but also earlier you mentioned a crop drop. So tell us what that is. A crop drop. Um, it's not only an answer to food deserts. Um, it's a fun thing to say, crop drop. <laughs> the kids love saying it, by the way. They do. They do. Um, no. What we do is we have farmers that maybe have a surplus of food, um, but it's already been picked. They've already brought it to a warehouse. They've already graded it, sweet potatoes or something. They've already harvested them out of the field. They've been curing in a warehouse. And as the farmer goes through packaging orders and washing, he's starting to realize, oh, well, I've got all these that they don't quite meet the cosmetic use, but they're still good. Um, So they contact us. We get sometimes quantities large enough we have to use a dump truck. Um, We get some wonderful partners. Uh, The most recent one, uh, Simon Taylor with Taylor Construction um, and Mr. Deere and Brand 
abandoned. They they drove to Vardaman. They filled up a trailer with 15,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. Yeah. We came to partner with Jackson State University at Blackburn Middle School, and we dumped these potatoes out because they still need to be sorted through to make sure only the best potatoes go um, to the families and the individuals in need. And but we have volunteers come out from the university, and they sorted the potatoes into small family-sized bags. And then we we had a drive-through of cars <laughs> that day. Um, and the students tallied up more than 900 people came to that drop to receive food. It's a, it's a lot of fun. The co- crop job is not just them doing food, but uh, sometimes there are other vendors that are involved from across the state and different agencies. Uh, Cindy Ayers, of course, is one of those mm-hmm. people that you can find at the crop drop all the time. Nick Wallace did a cooking demonstration at one of the crop drops. There's music there. It's fun. You know, kids are hanging out. The adults are hanging out and everybody's getting to know each other. So it really it's bringing the community together from every side of the community working together and loving on each other. And it's just beautiful to see it. And we're going to be planning another one this August um, with Jackson State University. We're going to be meeting um, this week to go over the details. Um, but we want to do a community day. We want to have um, some partners bring out a mobile clinic to do some screenings. We want to have um, Good Samaritan come out to, to highlight the services that they offer. People aren't aware of how many services are available to them um, for free. Um, last year, we had some folks like Patty Patterson that were showing us how we can make some easy planter beds and grow some of right. our own food. Yeah. Um, so we really want to take it further than just food distribution. Like you said, Deborah, we want to just like Nick Wallace, show them that you can get you can get it crazy and enjoy and make some fun recipes. It doesn't just have to be thank you for the potatoes. I'll go home and eat them and be healthy. You know, we can have fun and get creative. Yeah, I mean, and I think everybody likes to try new recipes out. So that's, I think that goes the extra mile. Again, you're not only providing them with the food that they need to eat, but you're providing them some, you know, exciting different ways to to prepare the food. Um, tell us about your website. The easiest way to get involved, if you're interested in being a volunteer or you want to become one or you want information, is go to endhunger.org slash register. So it's E-N-D-H-U-N-G-E-R dot org slash register. And there's a spot that says, I need more information. And just put your stuff in there and we'll follow up with you. And, you know, I imagine um, in terms of volunteers, uh, church groups, Boy Scouts, uh, maybe uh, high school students, anybody that's kind of looking to do uh, work in the community, uh, I'm sure that you you have uh, a job for them to do. What are, <laughs> what are some of the different things uh, that you use your volunteers to do? Well, and that's a great thing. We've, we've gone um, – so we went, like we met with a Rotary Club recently. We were invited to come, and we got to talk about um, food waste and just kind of present the opportunities available to people, the awareness. Um, we used some volunteer groups to cut and tie bags so we can carry potatoes um, and other vegetables, onions, turnips, things like that. Um, any way people want to get involved, really. We've had groups that want to learn what we do. They want to learn the information on how to become a volunteer so that they can go out and reach out to other people um, so they can help us expand our effort exponentially. Well, Kevin, I think what I hear you saying is for all those parents who don't know what to do with your kids for the summer, drop them off at Andy. (laughs) (laughs) We've got plenty going on. Well, and, you know, and it it might sound a little selfish, but I mean, especially for high school students that they're always looking for things to put on a resume and, and, and community work is something that I think a lot of uh, higher education universities, colleges was look at. And so uh, to me, this would be a great thing. And again, you know, mentioned church groups, uh, Boy Scouts, uh, just any kind of number of groups out there looking for something meaningful to do. I think this would be uh, a good uh, opportunity uh, and a lot of hard work as well. So, uh, again, you know, Deborah, if, if you're a parent and you think your kid's getting a little fat and lazy in the summertime playing <laughs> video games, 
<laughs> get them out there and get them to do some productive work. But, you know, Kevin, seriously, and it's just, you would be surprised how children really light up when they're outside. It's being in that element and seeing other young people do it, it. They just really kind of fall in line together with each other and they learn uh, teamwork. Uh, they learn levels of respect and then they understand the earth. And then it's really good because a lot of us spoil our children. And so to see them be able to f- help other families and other kids their age is just really a blessing all the way around for everybody. And I would say that uh, for adults as well. Anybody, I think, who's not been involved in community work when they go out and do some sort of program like this that helps those others in the community, uh, they they see how meaningful it is. And I think that really kind of energizes them and maybe not uh, just with, uh, with the Society of St. Andrews, but it would involve maybe encourage them uh, to become involved with other types of community um, outreach and, and community involvement. Because that's the thing is working together with all, all the community partners is really important. We have a lot of people that want to volunteer to be gleaners. They want to visit the fields because they have a food pantry that they love, and they want to pick that food as a labor of love for that pantry that they're already supporting. Um, We've had some groups that are like, we would love to join you. Can we take some food to this food pantry in our community? Absolutely. Please do, You know, especially um, if we're not already working with them. We want to work with more. That's going to wrap us up for today. A reminder, the website for the Society of St. Andrews, endhunger.org. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and the call screener is Michelle McAdoo. So for Deborah Hunter uh, and our guests, Andy Lemon and Ann Radke, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Monday at 9 for another Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio. 